it's like when you're on a tight budget and you're having to decide what to cut and what gets to stay in and how many shots you can take or how many days you can film. It's there's just that pinch of scarcity all around it. And it feels like in a way money is calling the shots and you're having to ask money for permission. Can we do this? Oh, no, the budget says no. In that sense, whether it's art or anything else in our lives, like having that big budget, like having money there to support just allows us to be more in our full expression and make the art that we really want to make. Yes. And I do think I'm still integrating that a little bit for myself and my business. And it feels so good, right? I think loving money and money loving me and just being in that flow, it's like attachment styles and relationship, right? Like having that secure attachment style with it. Welcome to the Joyous Path to Millions podcast with me, your host, Emily June Wilcox, serial entrepreneur, seven-figure business owner, mindset junkie, creator of the Money Loon Medicine program, devoted mama of two, and lover of coffee and crystals. My mission is to put more money in the hands of soulpreneurs through healing money wounds, building abundant businesses, and balancing masculine and feminine energy. When we do this, we collectively up-level the frequency of the planet and help usher in new paradigm wealth. Each week, a new episode will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and guest interviews where we'll dive into honest money conversations and the behind the scenes truth of building our aligned vampires. We all deserve a healthy, empowered relationship with money so we can experience more freedom, pleasure, and joy on our joyous path to millions. So get ready and let's dive in. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. After I stop this recording, I'm headed on a great lunch date with my kiddos and we're going to the library to pick up Christ. What is it? Somebody, the crystal fairy. It's a book that Faye put on hold at the library that is now available. So I'm still in full swing of mompreneur summer schedule mode, which I've talked about this before. There's always like that bit of resistance to it, but then I love it too. Just this blending and weaving of the work and the play and the life and the living. And I feel just so grateful again and again that I have a schedule that allows me to do really meaningful work and then also go out on lunch dates and go to the library with my kids and feel really present as a mama. So I know many of you can relate because the summer mom life is real and it's so different than what we experience when our kiddos are in school. I'm really excited to share today's interview with you because I find that I really enjoy speaking to people that have a really different approach to life and where their brain just works really differently than mine. It's, I get so curious and I want to learn more about them and what they do and their creative process. And I have the pleasure of speaking with Caroline Aylward. And she's a film director, a podcast producer, and a storytelling doula. And she just takes an art first approach to life. And that is something that I loved digging into with her. 
She's the creative director at Get a Helmet Studio. She creates powerful videos. She produces a top-rated podcast. And then she also teaches people how to tell their authentic story. And again, she really brings in that creative storytelling film lens into you and your business. And I just love that approach. I really believe that you're going to get so much out of this interview. And of course, we dig into all things money and money mindset as well. Hello, and welcome back to the show. I'm joined by Caroline Alward. Caroline, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited, a little nervous, but very excited. We were just talking about the insanity that is entrepreneurship and how it's so impossible to know what we're signing up for. So I feel like that's actually a perfect place to start this conversation. Like what made you dive into entrepreneurship and what are some of the surprising things about it that you never would have expected? Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah. I grew up in a house with both of my parents being entrepreneurs and I just thought that's how people live their life. It was just like, my dad started a a recruiting company for software engineers. My mom owned a plant and interior design kind of business that she started from finding a newspaper ad of somebody needing their plants to be watered and just created a business around it. She's from Ireland. She's scrappy. She gets it done. I just grew up around this kind of resilient, create something from nothing in this environment. And I didn't really understand that's not how everybody else lived because I have some of my dearest friends and people in my circles that aren't in this world are like freaking out if something in their house breaks, but they've got a consistent paycheck coming in. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I don't think not everybody chooses this. And there's a reason for that because it's a little insane as we were saying, and there's ups and there's downs. And then there's these beautiful moments of, oh my God, I created that. Holy shit. Look what's possible. And then there's the moments of, I'm exhausted and this is scary. And I think I want to just maybe become a barista again, like I was in college and maybe Mm -hmm. permission to do that too. Right. I think that's something that like we don't talk about or is just so shameful that like having a bridge job, having a a part-time job, doing what you need to do to support you is so powerful and so valid. And yeah, it's something that I think we hide behind and don't want to talk about. We need to be these big, flashy, successful entrepreneurs making all this money and bringing in all of this stuff for people to trust us. And it's just, that's not the case for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I don't know any entrepreneurs who haven't had at least one of those moments where you're like, oh God, this is not working. What did I get myself into? And it's so scary because there isn't like a real roadmap to follow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and so it all feels like unknown. And what we know about our brains is that our brain does not like the unknown. It perceives that as like a threat (laughs) against our very existence. Yes. And I think it is this, there's something going on in, in the brain of an entrepreneur where you're just a, you're, you can hold a little bit more risk. And I completely understand not wanting to and it not being for you. Like I deeply get that. And on some days, maybe I need to be over there in that camp. Yeah. But it is, it's a wild journey. And I think for me, 
I worked in advertising. I worked in production companies. I'm a filmmaker. It's always what I've done. Telling stories has always been what I've done. And going to film school, getting a good job, moving to Chicago. Yes, great. This is it. This is how you do it. Working in a really cool company, funky, making good work, like stocked fridge, like all of the bubbly water and wine and free snacks and just, okay, I guess this is my life. And then working until 9 p.m. and aspiring to be like a climbing the ladder of being a producer and then senior producer, executive producer, and having this moment of being like looking into the room of producers and being like, I don't know if that's what I want to really work towards Mm. because while the work, I love this company so much and I'm so grateful for those people in that job. Oh my gosh. Yes. But I wanted to tell stories that really changed the world. I wanted to tell stories that brought more shined light on the human experience and documentaries and authenticity and not necessarily advertising things like really any commercial that we see is a slight form of manipulation, whether it's a beauty product or alcohol. It's like, how can we use the power of visual storytelling and audio to empower people to be more of who they are? Yeah. Versus if I don't have that product or if I don't have that shiny car, if I don't have that thing, then I'm not enough or whatever narratives come up. So I I just had this moment. I remember this visually just looking into the producer's room, which was a tiny room and they're all like busting their ass and overworked and probably not making enough money Mm. and feeling the cap of salary feeling the limitations for women in the film industry, to be totally honest, of the women are the ones organizing things and they are budgeting things, but the majority of the editor rooms were filled with men. And Mm. I was craving being in the nitty gritty of the creative. And that's what I do with my company now. So having that moment of, I don't know if this is even what I want to aspire to. And then going through these conversations with my bosses of, can you pay me more? And they're like, nope. And I'm like, you sure you can't? They're like, nope. And I'm like, I think I'm out of here. So I just left Chicago and packed all of my belongings into a minivan that I rented because I'd sold my car to even move to Chicago. I had no money and packed everything into this red minivan, drove across the country to Boston, moved in with my grandpa, who's one of my best friends. And had no idea what I was going to do. I was like, I guess I'll move to New York so I can do the New York film thing. Stayed in Boston for three years, stayed in Boston for six years, actually, and lived with him, made a documentary about him because he is such a precious human being who has so many nuggets of wisdom to share and lives in such authenticity and is so filled with joy and gratitude that I was like, these are the stories that I want to tell. So I just started filming him. I filmed him at dinner. I filmed him in the house together. I filmed him at church. We went to Costco driving around. It's been in Uh, film festivals now. Everybody who sees it is so inspired. And is I really want to capture my grandparents and my family. And that was the beginning of this is the art that I want to make. And I worked at different ad agencies in Boston. So grateful for those jobs. Tried to find my way of fitting my capabilities into this world and I remember getting paid, I think I was making like 30 grand a year, 40 grand a year at one ad agency. And then I got an offer to get 65 grand a year to be a producer. And I was like, oh my God, like amazing. You know? I'm rich. I'm rich. <laughs> Literally, I'm rich. 
I was like, this is it. This is what it feels like. And it was, I got such good experience there. And then I worked that job for a couple of years and I was just like, this still ain't it. Like there's something in my soul that's like really begging to be felt and fulfilled. And so I started freelancing, became a yoga teacher. And then ultimately that led me to start the Get a Helmet podcast, which was the beginning of everything for my business. So it's a windy road as all of our stories are, but, and I'm still figuring it out. Like yeah. very much so. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, did your parents in the fact that they were entrepreneurs, what were they saying when you were trying these different jobs? Was there any encouragement? You should go out on your own or how did that influence? It's such a good question and something I feel really grateful for that I did not come from a family of Caroline. You need to graduate from college with your good grades and get a really good job and make money and just suck it up and do it. It was never like that. It was like, hey, I trust you. Do what you love. You can yeah. be good at anything you want to do. My mom and I don't really have a relationship, but my dad and I are very close. And he was never anything other than just encouraging of, mm. cool, sweetie. That's what you want to do. Yeah. You are a filmmaker. Do it. Yeah. And he's, listen, he was like, I was selling coffee out of my car when I was 28. And then you came into the world. So I figured it's time for me to get my shit together. <laughs> and he started a company from nothing. Yeah. He moved to Florida from Boston, started a company from nothing, hit his first six figures, brought in millions of dollars, unfortunately lost a lot of it in my parents' divorce, but he's been through it. He gets it. Yeah. He's yeah. lived both sides of the spectrum of work the job, be confused, and then make all this money in your own company. And then like back to figuring it out again. And it's just this very human ebb and flow. But I feel so grateful that even with my mom, we don't have a relationship, but both of them. Yeah, cool. You can do anything. Go for yeah. it. Life's too short. Go for it. Don't stay in some place where you feel like you're not being treated well or you feel like your creativity suffocated. Like you'd probably be happier working at a coffee shop part time and making your art for free. Go do that. That's amazing. It is. And I, the older that I get, the more I realize that is not the case for so many people. people right. Really stifled by their family system and their parents. And my family's got their own shit. That's for sure. Yeah. But that's one thing. My sister's an entrepreneur. My brother's an entrepreneur. We're all this crazy family of entrepreneurs. And I am just realizing it recently. That's amazing. Yeah. You're like, wait, everybody's parents didn't just say, yeah, of course you can do that. So did you have any beliefs around either I can make the films I want to make for free? Like I'm guessing no one paid you to make the film of grandpa. And even though like it's shown at film festivals and it's getting a lot of accolades, yeah. I know people who have gone down that route and it's usually there's no money attached to that for the oh, vast no. majority. Or I can make these commercials that are manipulative, but have these big budgets. Did you have to work with yourself around this idea that no, someone will actually pay me to make the kind of film that I want to make? I don't even know if I thought about that. Mm. <laughs> I really call it me being in my 20s, call it being naive. I felt the only thing that I really deeply felt was the impulse and desire to tell the story. And that was the number, it's always been the number one thing for me. The money yeah. hasn't really been the thing really at all. And it's gotten me into trouble in certain moments, but I just can't help it with that living with my grandpa and feeling the story all around me. I had my job too. So I was, right, I, right. that was great. That was super great. 
And then I went on after moving out of my grandpa's and still living in Boston and being freelance at this time, I I made a film called In This Body, which is a short film dedicated to women's body image and self-worth. And that was a film that like came to me in my dreams. It came to me like circa Me Too movement Mm. and just so much happening in our political landscape and things like this. And I was getting these visions of it and I was making no money and rent in Boston is expensive. And I was like freelancing here and there and it didn't matter. I wanted to make this film so bad. I spent a year of my life working on this film. I recruited an entire cast and crew of female identifying folks, which is pretty difficult to do. Yeah. Make this film and to make it a ceremony. This film was a ceremony. It was like a reclamation of all bodies to just accept themselves. And I lost money making that. Yeah. But that became the template of all of my current brand documentaries. And that went on to screen in multiple film festivals, like one in Beverly Hills last year. And people started to say they can trust me as a director now because they can see that I've done this. Because I think in the film industry, being a director, especially as a woman, you just have to make shit or and say, I directed this or nobody will hire you. And I'm like, that seems crazy. So I just went off and made this and I never really thought about the money or financial security. I never really thought about it. I just I knew it would come. I knew I'd figure it out, whether it was grabbing another production thing or grabbing a job or whatever, I'd figure it out, which is so my parents. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, but I love that. And that tenacity and the belief that I just get to do what I love and I can follow my intuition and follow my passion and Mm. then the world will bend around me. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, which is a not everybody feels that way. And I get it. I deeply get it. Yeah. So you started the podcast and take us from there. Like, how did that evolve into this sort of current iteration of business and life? Yeah. So I started the podcast in my grandpa's spare bedroom and I didn't even know what a podcast was. The podcasting industry was still on its kind of in its infancy. And I just had this calling. It's always been talking to people, interviewing, pulling stories out of people. And I was writing for a digital magazine in New York, little side gig freelance thing and loving talking to these artists about what they did and why they did it. And I was recording the conversations during those interviews so that I could go back and listen to them and be present for the conversation versus writing in person. And I was talking to my sister about it and she was just like, oh my gosh, like you have these little podcast episodes. I'm like, oh yeah, podcast. What the heck is that? I just started one and I started interviewing people. And I realized that having a podcast is such an incredible platform for building connections and networking with people that you might not be able to connect with unless you say, want to come talk on my podcast. And just like most people saying yes to my little teeny tiny podcast at the time. And then the podcast started to grow and people in the community would be like, Hey, you're the get a helmet podcast. And I'm like, what? Like, how is this even happening? And then not even really understanding what my intention was whether was with it other than to just have these conversations about creativity and spirituality and wellness and entrepreneurship and in the process i learn everything there is to know about the podcasting industry so i at the time i have no idea but i'm training myself to then offer podcast production to my current clients i'm training myself to build a podcast course like my course called spoken and at the time i really don't have any idea so I loved having these conversations. It really lit me up. I was freelancing still at the time. And then 
those conversations turned into the audio for brand documentaries. So I would interview someone and pull out all of the gems and then we'd shoot some really beautiful footage of them. And then I would put a story together based on that audio from our conversation. And that would become the dialogue of their brand video Mm. and started making these. And then I just started marketing myself as that person who was bringing this kind of documentary style approach to the entrepreneurial world and, and seeing all these women in business just start exploding and sharing their magic and making all this money. I'm like, we got to put this on video. This is incredible. So then I was like, it was pandemic time. I left Boston. I moved back to Florida trying to figure out how do I really channel this and bring this to life. And that's when I was connected with Victoria Washington and started working with her to shoot the most incredible work. We created such beautiful stuff together, brand documentaries, short films for her live events, short films based on her movement practice, wealth embodiment flow. And so she really trusted me with that. And we had chatted a little bit over the years and just, I shared my short films with her and stuff. Cause I could always tell she had this edgy kind of artist energy. Yeah. And I'm just like, we got to make you some video content. This would yeah. be so amazing. And I remember I was in the sauna one day and I just sent her a voice note and I was like, Hey, I would love to do that with you. I think we would have so much fun. She got right back to me and she was just like, Caroline, I just told my team and I just prayed to God that I want to bring a video person in and I'm ready to do this. And I was like, let's go. So we started creating remotely. She shot some video that I directed remotely. And then we did a remote interview, put this whole mini documentary together around her movement practice all remotely. And then I flew out to San Diego a bunch of times to shoot with her there. And then that was like just kind of affirmation of the concept and having so much fun and just making art. And so I'm so grateful for that time. And then continuing now to produce bigger podcasts and implement the video side and do more video work with women at that stage of business who want to shout their work from the rooftops and take up more space with their voice and their magic and make some art. Especially right now, I feel like we feel collectively on social media, a little starved of creativity. We feel a little run down from all the noise and the repeated strategies and things. And so being able to like, Hey, I've made this money now. Now I really want to like Let's make a film festival quality brand video and have the time of our lives. And this video that really shows our people and our audience, like what it feels like to work with us, Mm. what the transformation of our work really feels like. So windy road. Now that's today, the get a helmet podcast became get a helmet studio. So that's the production company side of things. That is so cool. I love that journey. And I haven't seen all of Victoria's stuff, but I saw one video where she's like digging for a key in the sand. Did yeah. you do that one with her? No, her That's sis- different. Somebody shot that on an iPhone on her team. Wow. We did the sound design for that, which was really fun because sound design is such a fun addition that will really elevate a piece of video. Even yeah. if yeah, video 101. But yeah, the sound quality is so important. And the digging and the key and the wind right. and adding in all these sound elements took that from, wow, beautiful footage to holy shit, this is this could be aired on TV. Yeah. And it really does feel like super unique art and it stands out and it cuts through in a way that, like you said, it's like an emotion first sort of experience, which I think is what we all love about film. And that's why we love going to movies because it makes us feel something and it 
immerses us in this different world than the one that we're in. And a lot of social media content doesn't do that. It's like pretty dry and it feels just more like kind of an advertisement, but veiled as education or entertainment. And so I really love that you're doing that. And I'm really curious because even you mentioned having a podcast course and I've not taken one, but what I've always suspected is that they're very like nuts and bolts. This is how you do it. And here's the tech that you need. And here are like some different things to think about in terms of like how you structure interviews or prep for it and blah, 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 blah. Yep. And I suspect that your approach is so different that it's maybe like a story first or art first approach. And what is there like a process that you take your students through to get them really connected to their vision and their unique story before adding in all of the tech and the nuts and bolts? Because that's the kind of, it's necessary, but it's not the interesting part of it. Such a good question. So yes, spoken is we teach you all the tech nuts and bolts things. And what is so amazing to me is that spoken has become more of this like creative mastermind. So you're getting to come in and what interviews do you really want to host? What stories do you really want to tell? Why do you want to tell them? How do you want your listeners to feel when they listen to your podcast? Do you want to add video? Do you want to add sound design? And having them feel really empowered in all the techie stuff, right? Because I'm definitely a tech nerd just by default. But then how can we weave in your authenticity, your unique voice? How can we help you feel really empowered, opening up your throat chakra to really feel the magnitude of you sharing what you were put on this earth to share and someone out there in the world right now looking for, praying for what it is that you offer and then pressing play on your podcast and being like, I feel supported. I feel seen. I feel heard. So we dig into all of that, the energetics of it and calling in your ideal clients and listeners. But that signature process that you're referring to, those are definitely my core sessions. So my core sessions are my storytelling intensives where essentially a storytelling ceremony and Mm. we do some somatic work, we do some energy work, and then we go into this interview process, which is started from the brand documentaries and having the interview so I can learn what you're about, but then noticing that as you're feeling held in the space of sharing your story and your truth, and I'm dueling you like through sharing more, like people have referred to me as a storytelling doula, which I was like, all right, I'm going to coin that. And then taking those stories and feeling number one, they matter. Number two, I'm ready to share them. How could I share them? Video, audio, captions, my writing? How do I want to express myself? And then understanding how to weave your story into your brand, into your sales, into your expression online and in the world. And so we bring a lot of that. It's that just happens by default in everything that I do. Like I literally just had a session with someone yesterday. I do these sessions to help you get booked on podcasts where we craft mm-hmm. your pitch and all these things, which are super fun. An hour we're done, but yesterday's turned into a whole let's identify like what you're here to do. What are you here to talk about? How can we bring that to the table in a way that's different from anything else that people have talked about on their podcast? And I know as a podcast host, you probably understand it's very helpful when people come to you and say, here's something really juicy we could talk about on your show. And here's what I want to contribute to your audience versus, hey, I'm a great fit for your show. Like, love to be there. Bye. What? That feels cold and not connected. So this storytelling element and really unearthing these really powerful and important pieces of your 
life, your journey, your work, your magic are at the core of everything that I do. So those core sessions are so powerful and they are totally sprinkled into to spoken, which is just so much fun. And I see that what holds people back from starting podcasts is the tech. It is the, I don't have time and I can't learn something new. But then when they get inside of Spoken, they realize that's actually whatever and easy and they'll figure that out. And I'm teaching them everything. The juiciest part is the expression, the you yeah. know activation of your voice and your truth and the creativity that comes online with even just designing your cover and feeling into what does my brand feel like? What does my podcast feel? Yeah. So that's, it's a really fun, magical place. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. And I'm sure it's really helpful for so many people because I was a person that I think up until really starting my podcast, if you had said, okay, I'm putting a mic in front of you. What do you really want to say to the world? It's like, I don't know. I really yeah. didn't know. And that's okay. And <laughs> even if you know what you want to say, I feel like also having a podcast or committing to going live on social media or whatever, like building a YouTube channel, it's just going to help you refine and allow it to evolve. And you get to practice and you get to flex that muscle and really refine what it is that you are here to talk about. I'm so glad that you're saying that because that's exactly what happens. In launching the podcast, you get such clarity on what are you here to do and who are your ideal clients and how can you help them? What can you teach on your show? What can you speak to? And the same in my core sessions, because I think that's a, what gets in the way for a lot of us. We all need that reflected back. It's like, okay, here's what I do. Here's how I show up in the world. And then to have it reflected back in this very sacred container of them being like, this is your magic. This is what, this is it. And then you're like, really? It's, it's I think you shared Emily on my show on Creative Visionary when you were like getting into coaching and then you were like feeling edgy around teaching on money. And then you shared it with a friend and they were like, duh, what's that same? Like we need to be seen and supported, like myself included. Like I need yeah. a core session. Like I need to have somebody say, Caroline, don't hide behind your video. Don't hide behind this unique kind of expression of your work. That's the magic. So yeah. how can we really dial in on your signature, your creative signature? Totally. And then when we're doing it with other women, like I could riff on the energetics, like how that really helps heal like sister wounds and witch wounds and helps get us more in our feminine energy because we're feeling supported and seen and held. And it's so valuable beyond just, I need clarity and you can give me clarity. No, there's so much alchemy that's happening when we allow ourselves to be vulnerably seen by other women. It's truly unmatched. Like, yeah. There's so much expansion that happens when you can just be held and supported and expanded in that way. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about money, of course. And you had mentioned that like one of your limiting beliefs around money that you had to overcome is that the value of your bank account does not raise or lower your inherent value. Yeah. I love that so much because I can raise my hand as someone who brought worthiness into my relationship with money and really weaponize money against my worthiness. If it wasn't there, then of course that means that I'm not valuable. Yeah. And I think it's an easy place for many of us to go to as women because of all kinds of patriarchal societal conditioning and everything. So 
What were some of the the ways that you moved through that? Honestly, I'm still moving through it. I don't feel like I've got it all figured out. Your relationship with money is like such a relationship to cultivate throughout your entire lifetime. And I think having these big moments of success in my business and then having these moments of real quiet where, oh my gosh, what's happening in that entrepreneurship in certain stages of business, the goal is to like st- steady that out as much as you can. But getting started, you're what what's happening? And so I think riding those ups and downs and trying to work with my nervous system to receive the highs and the lows in the same way to, of course, you I land a big budget. I'm like, yes, this is amazing. But honestly, I'm most excited about making the work. I don't know. That's just like how my brain is wired. And of course, we need money to live our lives, right? We want to be financially supported and abundant. And I think for me, it's just been working in my business on things in the back end to really streamline things like my podcast course and yeah. things like getting these sessions booked that, and I'm not even like selling them, but they're just happening through email or happening through finding me on my podcast. Love that. I actually used to be really resistant to like automations and funnels and things. Mm-hmm. And now I'm mm-hmm. like, hook me up. I'm so down because it just creates space for me to make more art, whether I'm making money, making that art or not. And yeah, that that's been my up and down journey with money and growing up in a really wealthy neighborhood and going to a really like a high school where I felt like I was like in Laguna Beach, California, but I wasn't, I was in Winter Park, Florida. And everyone is like beautiful and like thin and blonde and rich and has all the students have like nice cars and the teachers like don't and feeling going to high school there and feeling like that is not me. And my family grew up in a beautiful house that like my mom designed. And that's just how I thought life was that just, just go shopping every weekend. And that's just how it is. And then we lost everything. My parents' marriage fell apart and it was really tumultuous and like long and traumatic and the money just dwindled. And so I've lived both sides of the spectrum of having all this money, both my parents driving BMWs, like getting my hair highlighted when I'm like 13 years old (laughs) to living in a two bedroom apartment with my dad and pinching pennies. So I feel grateful for having the experience of both of those because you do then understand what mattered throughout all of that was, do I feel safe? Do I feel I loved is, and when my siblings and my dad and I were together, we were good. We could have been in a freaking waffle house and happy. And so then I've had to swing back and forth between kind of demonizing money. Oh no, it tore my family apart to, oh no, money is good. The energy of money is good. It is neutral. It is here to, when you have the financial means to feel supported and safe and all of that, you can be more of who you are. Mm. I'm still doing that dance a little bit. And I'm sure there's Mm -hmm. so much happening underneath the surface subconsciously that I'm just working on every day. Yeah, totally. And there's no check the box, like done with money healing. Cross that off my to-do list. Exactly. We wish. Yeah. And that's why I think it is so good to contextualize it as a relationship because it's like, we would never say, oh, I worked on my marriage. Check. Are you still married? Then you're still working on it. And same thing with money. But I think especially just hearing your story, I see a lot where when money does unexpectedly disappear, and I call it the disappearing money wound in my work, where there's this feeling of abandonment or like the rug getting pulled out from under you. 
we can sometimes dissociate and almost lean out of our relationship with money. Like, oh, yeah. oh if it's just going to come and go, and when it's here, I just know that at some point it's going to leave, yeah. then I'm actually not willing to lean in and get intimate and work on like cultivating this staying power because mm-hmm. then I'm just going to get hurt more when it leaves. Yeah. So I'd rather just not care. Like I'm too cool for that. Yeah. Um, I'm so still in pieces of that for sure. And I honestly don't even feel very conscious of it. It's just, yeah, that's for sure been my entire relationship with money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So work in progress. And I think it's, I love that there is an art first approach. And like when you were talking about the big budget coming in and it's, but in some respects, who cares about the budget? I think where it ties in, and this is like a beautiful analogy for all of us, is that like when there is an abundance of money, then it's you really do just get to make the art that you want to make, right? Because it's like when you're on a tight budget and you're having to decide what to cut and what gets to stay in and how many shots you can take or how many days you can film, it's there's just that pinch of scarcity all around it. And it feels like in a way money is calling the shots and you're having to ask money for permission. Can we do this? Oh, nope. The budget says no. In that sense, whether it's art or anything else in our lives, like having that big budget, like having money there to support just allows us to be more in our full expression and make the art that we really want to make. Yes. And I do think I'm still integrating that a little bit for myself and my business. And it feels so good, right? I think loving money and money loving me and just being in that flow and having, it's like attachment styles and relationship, right? Like having that secure attachment style with it. And it's such a journey and trusting that it's not going to go away, that the rug isn't going to be pulled out from under you. That is so deep in my system from what I experienced within my family. And it's just, it's a work in progress every single day to be like, of course you have enough money to support your life. Of course you get to do this. Of course this is going to work out versus it needing to be so hard for it to even click into place. That's been like the past like five years of my life. Yeah. Yeah. It totally makes sense. And I think so many of us have that. And especially because, and it's weird because like, Oftentimes, like in corporate, it felt easy. And like you and I talked about this a little bit where you're like, yeah, of course we were like landing these big budget things. And I never thought about the size of the budget as like meaning anything other than how much work we were going to do. And then you go out on your own and then it's there's a noticing sometimes of, oh, wait, how did my worth sneak in there? Or why am I making this one so much harder than this one? What just happened? Totally. Totally. Yeah. I know. I think I was sharing with you that like working in production and stuff and having a job with a salary, like these big budgets just coming through and that's just like par for the course. So it's like in my business with the video stuff, video is expensive to create. Like you can find ways to make it affordable for you for sure. And you can learn to shoot yourself and all these things, high level video content, like costs some money. And it's so funny how like in that department of my life, I'm just like, Hey, this is what it costs because that's like my experience. That's like my nervous system feels safe in doing that. And then it's like with my other stuff, with my courses or things, it's, Oh gosh, don't charge or no. Like I've had to match all of the areas of my business to feel that same level of sensation when it comes to charging and pricing. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. 
I, and I have so many of those things too, where it's not logical. Yeah. And, and I think the more we can just come to peace with the fact that it's not going to be logical because totally. it's a feeling-based system. And when we have little stored traumas around things, it's, I feel a constriction around this $47 thing I'm charging, even though that makes no freaking sense. It's like, I know. It's not a lot of money at all. It's not even a cell phone bill. Like, why is this the thing? I know. It's yeah. so wild. So share with us, like, what does money look like today or in the last year in your business? How much have you made? Yeah. So I know we were talking about this before and I was like, oh my God, I've never talked about this. It's crazy. And I'm like, I think today's the day. Let's just, let's, let's do just it. name it. So thank you for holding that space. Last year was around 130,000 in revenue, which was a huge fucking deal for me and my business and yeah. double a salary that I've ever made. And that's not cash and that's not profit. That's because like with the production, I'm paying a lot of people. Yeah. And then this year has been hard. I was dealing with like health issues and relationships ending. And I'm just now feeling like I'm getting back on my feet. And I think this is why I'm starting to fall in love with like automations and funnels and things. Cause I'm like, I want to be able to be like crying in my bed for two days and like things still happening yes. <laughs> and, and just have time to heal and so this year feels a lot slower, but in the past few weeks, momentum is building again because I feel available for it again. Yeah. And so that's been fun to feel. And you can get so in your head of, oh my God, last year I made this much. So I've got to double that this year, right. I've got to triple that this year. So I can say that I 3X my business or I 4X my business or I hit seven figures. And that's where I get a little like with the money world and money conversation. But it is, it feels powerful to just say the thing. Yes. Thank you for saying the thing. And I agree. And that's why I have these conversations. Like my coaching business so far this year is off pace from last year. And it's yeah. like, it's so easy for our mind to go to that place where it's like, what does that mean? And if people knew, what would they think? Or I'm not as successful or blah, blah, blah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, okay. But actually, I feel so good in my business and I'm running it a different way and I'm putting like different systems in place that like I wasn't ready for last year. But also the stuff I was doing last year in terms of how I was selling and showing up doesn't feel good to do this year. And yeah. that's just yeah. true. <laughs> and it yeah, doesn't exactly. mean anything about me as a coach or a money healer or anything else. It's just true. It's just fact. I love that. I love that. And it's so powerful for you as a teacher in this realm to say that and just hold that for everyone listening because yeah. yes, it's so it's in everyone's heads. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I love the number 130,000. Cause I think for everyone listening, like where if you've got something around six figures, like if that's the goal or like that feels like a big milestone. Yeah. I actually think like 130 is a really good number to calibrate to because I've seen people get stuck. I did 90,000 or I got to 95 or whatever. And it's like, there's all of this stickiness and resistance and story around a hundred, but like, so 130 has a cleaner frequency. Like when I run that through my body, it's, there's no stories around 130,000. Totally. Like there are around a hundred. So I think that's a really fun number. And also just for you and anyone listening, sometimes it's really fun to play with like, Okay, so 130 was like gross. 
that came in, right? But it's, we can normalize that number and then just change the context of it. So it's okay. What if it's 130K profit now? Like yum, yum. And also there's something about it that feels normal and familiar because it's, oh, I already did that number. Yeah. And so we can play those little games and not have as much resistance in our body because there is a familiarity to it that makes it feel okay and accessible. 100%. I love that. And it's so helpful to talk about. And to be totally honest, this is, I didn't even know that's how much we brought in revenue until this year, like earlier this year. I didn't even know. And again, this is, as we're talking, like my disassociation with the money piece and art first, right? So something for me to dig into even deeper. Yeah. And now you can play with that. Because I've had that happen before too, where it's like after the fact, I'm like, holy crap, that was a 30K month? Yeah. I just had a 30K month. And it's now that it's in my awareness, I like want to roll it around in my mind and my body until it starts to feel like, of course I had a 30K month. Yeah. Yes. But had you might've gotten in your head around it. And so it actually might've been really supportive that you didn't know. And that's why you were able to just blow past a hundred K without it like being a thing. Yeah. And then you get to celebrate it after the fact. You get to celebrate it on my podcast, which feels so fun. I know. Truly. I like never, ever talk about money. Yeah. Clearly I'm like avoiding it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for talking about it here and, yes. and talking about your art. Where can people find you? Where can they learn more about Spoken or these? What are the sessions called again? My core sessions. The core sessions. Where can people find more? I'm on my Instagram with all this info there at I am Caroline Aylward is my handle. I have my podcast, the Creative Visionary Podcast, which is a beautiful place to start. I can share with you a link to download my free podcast launch starter guide for anybody who's just curious about getting started and feels a little intimidated, or maybe you feel totally ready. This will break down every step of the podcasting process. And we're going to be kicking off the next round of Spoken in October. So that's really fun. People are already signing up, which is so fun and just like ready to do the thing. So if you're listening to this and feel that, definitely come find me on Instagram and reach out because we have some special things for pre-sale and payment plans that are available for all the early birders. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm really excited. Spoken just keeps getting better and better every single round. So come chat with me on Instagram or listen to the podcast. There's so much juicy information there around creativity and expression through video, through podcasting, through your story. If that's lighting you up, I'd love to talk to you. Amazing. Yeah. I highly recommend go follow Caroline because I think anytime someone has such a unique and fresh approach, it helps like spark and inspire our own creativity. And your work is absolutely doing that for people. So thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for practicing like an art first living. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And it was so much fun. Okay. I hope you loved hearing from Caroline as much as I did. And you can follow her at I am Caroline Aylward on Instagram and slide into her DMs, connect with her. I know that means so much when we hear from the folks who listen to these podcasts. So here are my top takeaways. Number one, get curious about your art and how you want to express it in this one precious life that we have. Number two, be willing to reach out and initiate connections with those that you want to work with. I just loved seeing 
her creativity and her initiation and her courage in action of reaching out to uh, Victoria Washington for what turned out to be a really important collaboration. Number three, how your art makes people feel is really important. And can you gift your audience with an experience, something that feels really different to them, that makes them feel a different kind of way? Number four, when you feel the urge to lean out of your relationship with money, that's actually the best time to recommit and to choose to lean in and choose to stay connected. Number five, play with numbers until you find a clean frequency. Sometimes it's easier to make 130K than it is to make 100K. And then bonus, you've made 30% more than if you would have gone for the 100K goal and had all the resistance around it. So thank you as always so much for tuning in. I hope you love this episode and I will talk to you soon. Listeners like you have made this a top 3% global podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in. Please like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. I also love hearing listener feedback, so feel free to slide into my DMs on Instagram at mmakesmoney. If you would like to explore hiring me as your money healer and business mentor, hit the link in the show notes or head to explore.emilywilcox.com. Until next time, I'm sending you all the magic money vibes on your joyous path to millions.